Uh, welcome to another special episode of Tip of the Tongue. I'm your guest host, Brent Rosen, here today talking with Dan Hargett, who is the Heritage Hero from Savannah, Georgia, the winner of uh, last week's Heritage Fire Tour event. And Dan is going to talk a lot about his preparation, how he got there, his restaurants in just a bit. I uh, want to thank all of you for listening. Thank Liz for letting me uh, piggyback on her podcast a little bit with this project. And again, thanks to the Heritage Fire Tour. Check out their website, look at all the new tour dates that are coming up, and uh, definitely try to attend. But without any more introduction, uh, let's get to Dan. So Dan, how are you today? I'm great. Great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really wonderful having you. So please tell me a little bit about your background. You're from or where are you from originally? And and how did you end up at your restaurant in Savannah? Sure. Uh, so originally, I am from North Central Florida. I was born and raised in Gainesville. Um, was exposed to restaurants very early on. My my childhood friend, um, you know, since kindergarten, his family owned restaurants around town. Um, so my, we literally grew up in the back of their restaurants um, and they've always just felt like home to me um, because of that. I've always just felt comfortable in them um, and love food, obviously, because who doesn't, right? Who doesn't love sure. eating? Um, and so it just felt like a very natural path to me. Um, I did uh, make the foolish mistake of going to the University of Florida for a couple of years uh, under uh, the misconception that I was going to be a lawyer. Um, hated every second of it. Uh, couldn't wait to get out of class and go to work at restaurants. Right. <laughs> um, and at some point, I just I just had that aha moment. Like, why am I pursuing this thing that I don't like? Um, let's go do what I like, right? So um, I left UF uh, and enrolled in Johnson & Wales um, in North Miami um, and did a culinary degree and a pastry degree there um, and then stuck around Miami for about eight years after that. Um, cooked around mostly Miami Beach, um, South Beach, and um, the Wynwood Arts District. After a while, I kind of, um, I just wanted a change from Miami. Um, had been there for a number of years and was ready for change and um, got linked up uh, through Sun Noodle Company, uh, who is uh, one of the largest producers of Kraft Ramen noodles. Oh, yeah. They're, um, they're, they make great linked noodles. Linked up with, oh, incredible. Uh, anything you want, they're they're an open book, and they just love treating people like family, and it's like it's so cool to see in a business like that. Mm -hmm. um, so Nashville, correct? So, yeah, they linked me up with um, a group in Nashville that was doing ramen pop ups and was getting ready to open their first brick and mortar, um, and that is Otaku Ramen. Um, and so they now have three locations and a very successful cookbook. Um, and I was part of um, that team in scaling from a pop-up to their brick and mortars. Um, and that was super fun. It was really great to, I had really at that point in my career only worked um, with larger companies. So to go in and, um, be in a family-owned business and kind of from the ground up um, and part of the scaling. It was a really, really incredible experience. Um, and Nashville is a great town, right? I mean, it was so much fun um, to develop 
that restaurant concept and and see a city that was like just so ready to like embrace new stuff right because that was really when Nashville the dining scene was just yeah. starting to explode it's kind of like it goes in, it's like all caps nashville not just yeah. Yeah. at that point exactly. that's kind of how i think about it it was nashville and now it's nashville <laughs> right yeah exactly and to see be part of that transformation was just like it was wild man and and the hospitality industry there is like is so supportive um everybody knows everybody everybody you know you walk into anybody's restaurant and it's just like Hey chef, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you bet. It's, it's just like a really um, incredible sense of community in the hospitality industry up there. Um, so I, I worked with that restaurant group uh, for about four years, um, and then from that point in time, had an opportunity to open a hotel, uh, which I had never done a hotel opening before. Um, and I couldn't pass that opportunity up. So uh, I linked up with Make Ready and was part of the opening team for Noel um, in downtown Nashville, um, which was, man, if, if, if I had, if you had told me how many moving parts were involved in a hotel opening, um, I wouldn't have believed you, but it was incredible to kind of see under the hood and, and see how all that stuff gets made, all the decisions that get made, you know, it's like, what are we going to put in the mini bar, right? How is it going to, which way are the labels going to face, right? All those tiny decisions that add up to um, a bespoke hospitality experience. It's, it was truly like, I wouldn't change that experience for the world. So yeah, it must. Um, it is a little different because with your restaurant, you really only have a guest for you know, maybe three hours. It's not that they're going right. to be you twenty four hours a day, and so every piece of the experience has to be part of of it has to be thought through before you can can execute it. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, it was great. Um, through them, I, I wound up getting introduced um, to some people in the standard hospitality group. So. Um, standard hotels in New York and LA and Miami um, and found out that the standard spa Miami beach, which was a property that I had always just sort of drooled over, um, you know, when I was younger and, and earlier on in my career in Miami was looking for an executive chef um, and ended up moving back to Miami for that opportunity. Um, and uh, relaunched a new concept um, for all the culinary outlets there um, and really just had, you couldn't ask for a better office because the kitchen is an open kitchen that overlooks the, the Miami Bay, the Biscayne oh, Bay. Nice. Um, uh, so that didn't suck, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was terrible going to work every day there. Um, and I was there for three years until, um, until March of 2020. Uh, and we uh, we don't need to get into all that. We all know what we, happened, we don't. right? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and from there, you know, most of Miami shut down, especially the hotels. Um, so I was laid off, and my wife and I were quarantining in a 600 square foot apartment in downtown Miami, and we're like, maybe this isn't where we want to be long term, yeah, right? Um, so it really forced us to take stock in where we were personally, what we wanted long-term. And we both decided that we wanted to be in a smaller city. Um, and 
We wanted something that was a little bit more focused on history and preservation. Um, she had never been to Savannah, but I had a bunch of friends that went to the Savannah College of Art and Design and always have loved the city. Um, and my mom's side of the family is actually from Southern Georgia as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Georgia has always felt like home to me. I'd in and out of Georgia as a kid. Yeah. North, Savannah. North Florida, North Florida and Georgia gets a little blurry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it bleeds together. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, the part of Louisiana that meets Texas where, you know, yeah. like Lake Charles, it's like, what are you really over there? You, you're not quite either. Right. It's some little thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we came for a weekend. Um, she fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the city all over again um, and uh, decided to take an opportunity uh, in uh, September of 2022, run the mansion on Forsyth Park. Um, so I was there for about two years uh, um, until that property sold. So when it changed hands, um, that's when I uh, ended up coming over to the Perry Lane. Um, and I've, I've been here since then and, and I'm absolutely loving this property. I think that it is truly a unique space. And I think that, um, you know, everybody, it's kind of corny, right? But I think we all have these moments where you realize that, that every decision that you've made has kind of led you to where you are now. Right. Yes, I know exactly what and, you mean. It really feels like, okay, yeah, this is where I was supposed to be, right? This is what all this has been building towards. And um, I have an incredible team here um, and uh, love coming to work every day. So what else, what more could you want, right? Sure. Well, and what are the culinary outlets that you have at the hotel? So we have uh, three outlets. Um, Emporium is our three meal a day restaurant. So that is... uh, Modern American uh, with a twist, right? Um, we have Peregrine, which is our rooftop bar. Um, and we have just finished building out a brand new kitchen up there. And we'll be uh, launching a new menu in the coming weeks. Um, we're at the mercy of the city right now to sign off and tell us we can hit the ground running. So uh, we're just in a holding pattern there, but are going to be launching a really fun menu that's inspired by street food from around the world. Oh, that's fun. Um, and then we have, yeah, yeah, we're really excited about that menu. Um, and then we have Wayward, uh, which is our cocktail bar. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm, uh, I may be slightly biased, but I do think it is uh, the best cocktail bar in the city. Our bartenders are incredible. Um, they really focus on a style of service that is highly tailored to each individual guest. Um you can go in there and tell them what spirit you like and what you're in the mood for, and they will craft you a cocktail on the spot tailored specifically to you. Well, before we kind of transition to talking about the Heritage Fire event, um, can you just tell our listeners maybe like one dish that you think that you serve at the restaurant now that you really think is sort of like exemplary of your style of cooking? And, and where did that dish come from? Sure. Um, I can tell you what, what our sort of darling dish is right now that, that uh, it still excites me and, and is our top seller uh, day in and day out. So we do a lobster pasta um, that is a homage um, to Peruvian food. So um, there's a Peruvian dish that's built around a, a it's 
a sophomore left called Wankainya, uh, which is, um, to oversimplify it, it's basically um, cream, generally, or some other dairy, uh, aji amarillo, which is one of the greatest chilies on the planet, um, sort of fruity, and um, it's almost like uh, habanero in flavor, but much tamer in heat. Um, and then that gets mounted um, with uh, Parmesan cheese to give it some body and, and some umami. Um, and that gets tossed um, with lobster meat. Uh, and then we top it with uh, American paddlefish caviar. Um, so that's it's very elegant. Very, it's very elegant. It's, but it's also, um, if you've had Guanquinha before, it's like, it has this sort of hominess and, mm -hmm. and comfort to it. Um, and it, it really rides that line between being familiar and, and, and exotic at the same time, which is uh, what we like to play with in Emporium. That sounds very delicious. And, and thank you for telling us about it. How did yeah. you hear about the Heritage Fire Tour? Um, I am familiar with, with Koshan 555. So I uh, participated um at some sort of run-up events um and with a group uh that i was part of in nashville years ago gotcha. um and i had heard that they were coming to town um and then a friend of mine uh chef buddy in town um was i guess had just confirmed that he was going and, and linked me up with the rest of the team um so I, I was familiar with them. I didn't. I didn't know that that they were going to do a Savannah event until uh, my friend Colin over at fifteen forty room here in town um, was like, "Hey, man, this this event sounds really awesome." And I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, I know about I know about this event, right?" I had no idea it was going to be in Savannah. So um, super excited that they decided to do it here. Um, and honestly, like for a first year event, as somebody in the food world, you know, sometimes those first year events can be a little uh, yeah, there's a some, little there's hit some, or miss. There's some kinks to work out. We'll just say. Yeah, but like flawless, right? I mean, it was like it was super well organized. Turnout was awesome. Like it was so much fun, and like the team just crushed it. Do you think? I mean, have you seen with the turnout? The do you think the pandemic in some ways has like gotten people more interested in these events? Because I feel kind of the same way where it seems like we're breaking records at like every one of our, our kind of events that usually happen and they're always good, but like right. this year, it seems like they're a little bit better. You think that's possible? I, I don't see how it couldn't play into it. Right. I, I think that it, it, people are more willing to like go out and do experiential things. Um, and I think, Everybody still, yeah, to some degree is still feeling like I never want to be cooped up again. Like right. <laughs> here's this opportunity to, to go outside and try some new things. Like, yeah, I think people are all over it, um, which is rad, right? I mean, to see that kind of turnout and to sell out an event like that first year um, in a city this size, right? Because, I mean, Savannah is great, but it's not a huge city. Oh, right? no, no. So, it's, it, absolutely to have that level of turnout, uh, awesome. The Heritage Fire Tour is a big event. For those who haven't been, how many servings are you preparing? So we did 
1,200 servings. 1,200 um, servings. And we, <laughs> we, we sold out. So um, it is a big event. It is so much fun. Um, if, if anybody is considering going, if you haven't been, I cannot recommend it more. It, you will have a blast. You'll, you'll have the time of your life. Um, so yeah, 12, 1200 individual skewers. Um, we chose to do a dish that's called a sukune. Um, so it's essentially a Japanese, uh, meatball that you'll, you'll see typically in, in yakitori restaurants. Um, typically it's made with whole chicken, right? So they'll, they'll grind up the, the breast, the thigh, the skin. Um, they particularly like to grind up cartilage if you're in like a legit yakitori place um which lends this incredible texture to it um we chose to kind of do a little riff on that and work with with one of the farms that we buy our pork from um called savannah river farms they uh, are are raising heritage breed uh pigs and produce some of the best pork that i've ever had um so we got some pork bellies from them uh, uncured uh, and left the skin on to kind of mimic um, that that cartilage texture that you would typically yes. see um, in a traditional sukune, um, and then blended that with some of our house smoked bacon um, and threw some ginger and some scallion in there, um, and then we made our own tare in house, which is um, I guess probably the the closest thing would be like a yak. Um, um, a yakitori sauce, right? So it's it's essentially Japanese barbecue sauce. Um, it's soy sauce based. It's going to be a little thinner than a typical American barbecue sauce. Uh, but the idea is that you take this skewer off the live fire and then it gets dipped multiple times into this sauce. So you're sort of building up uh, these layers of, of deeply caramelized sauce. Um, so we made ours uh, with some fresh peaches um and a few other uh highly coveted and guarded ingredients we can't get into but yes uh primarily <laughs> primarily um tamari gluten-free soy sauce and peaches that was the bulk of the sauce gotcha that's and that sounds delicious but to get those 1200 portions out there what kind of preparation happened before you were even out at the festival uh, so this is if if you ask my sous chefs this they will they will have a good laugh because um, I actually had to do the preparation not just once but twice um, because I had um, we do like a par cook on the sukune the meatballs um, and I got pulled away into a meeting that I wasn't expecting and my first batch of twelve hundred portions uh, got overcooked. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> so that was not a great day um and luckily i had started a couple of days beforehand so i had some time to adjust um so technically speaking i did make 2400 portions but only portions, 12 yes <laughs> so uh yeah we started about 48 hours in advance um if you include the house smoked bacon that that was that was two weeks in advance so that we we brought in pork bellies. Uh, we cured them for about seven days, smoked them for 24 hours. Then we let them rest. Um, and then we cold smoked them again for another 24 hours. Um, so that bacon we use for a number of dishes in house and it is just insane. Um, once uh, we get that done, 
Uh, we then grind that up with the pork belly. Then that meatball mixture needs to rest overnight for 24 hours before they're formed. So um, you're looking at, at about 72 hours of production leading up to the event. And then you said that you had sold out at the event, which is amazing. And congratulations. How do you keep the, you know, with the lines and all of the people, how, what are your systems in order to, to keep that line moving? Absolutely. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have a team of sous chefs with me that are deeply passionate about what they're doing. Um, I brought two of them with me um, and we had, uh, we basically work it like an assembly line, right? I mean, um, so we had one guy on grill who was just adding charcoal to the grills. Um, we got over a, a hardwood charcoal. Um, one guy who is just dipping skewers, um, and then one person just finishing. So we finished it with a house-made uh, furikake made from roasted pecans um, and some beautiful micro shiso from a, a farm that we work with here called River Root Farms. Um, and all of, all of the portions were pre-counted, so we knew throughout the day, each time we pull out another container, where we were in production, right? So every time we pull out a container, we know that that's 200 portions, right? Um, and just making sure that we are um, rotating the grills as well to make sure that the grills are the right temperature. So we, bought, we brought uh, with us two uh, custom-made uh, yakitori grills. Um, they're both four feet long. Uh, but they're only about uh, four inches wide as well. Okay. So it's basically like a, a four-foot trough of charcoal. Um, and what we're doing throughout the day is adding charcoal in stages to different sections of these grills so that we're always working at a peak temperature. Um, you want that charcoal to be red hot um, and only about an inch away from these skewers. The idea is that you're cooking these things um, at a at about 1200 degrees really really quickly um again so we can really deeply caramelize that tare or that sauce on the outside of the meatball and you know as you were describing it you mentioned the pecan you know element the peach element and but also sort of a very you know japanese in style so where where did the idea to sort of blend the the sort of georgia and japan come from you know i i love the idea of of bringing two different ideas together it's always been something that's fascinated me um especially with cooking because um and my staff will tell you this i it's it's a running joke that i have that the more you learn about food the more you realize that everybody's the same right yes. doesn't matter where you are in the world right the ingredients might be different the spices might be different but at the end of the day, we all like the same stuff, right? Um, and so finding those sort of through lines, the things that resonate um, throughout different cultures, I think has always been a, a lot of fun for me. So to mash up things that are uniquely Savannah, right, or uniquely Georgia, pecans and peaches, was something that maybe not everybody's had, right? Maybe not everybody's had a traditional sakuna. Um, so to kind of create comfortable spaces for people to step outside of what they're used to um i think is is what really excites me about cooking 
That's that's really an incredible you know concept, and and I just love hearing you know you're talking about the blending of the cultures, and and we have a you know running a food museum. It's something that we look at a lot. Is that there are some really interesting through lines, and and a lot of times you can't tell where stuff came from because you know people have moved places, absolutely, and people move back, and and you know was it migration? Is it back migration? Where did all these flavors come from? And we really we talk about right. flavors as the evidence of the movement of people. And in America, you I love that see it because, you know, we wouldn't have like black eyed peas, you know, that that is such an African ingredient that, you know, that people from Africa were here for that in the same way that right. is such an Asian ingredient. And we had a huge Filipino population in South Louisiana that just dried shrimp here for 50, 60 years on giant platforms. Really? Mm -hmm. and, That's and, so cool. And so you see these things in our in our cooking. And it's like, well, somebody had to have done that because it's not, you know, it's not the way that people in South Louisiana would cook without it. Right. So that's, that's really yeah. very interesting. Um, yeah. And I, it, it's funny because we, we just went through this pretty recently and I'll, I'll, I'll keep this brief. But to that point, right, I, we were developing a new menu item, a new, a new um, uh, market fish dish for Emporium. I kind of had this idea of, like cassoulet, essentially, right? A, a, an homage to a traditional French cassoulet. My chef de cuisine um, uh, is from Colombia, and he had this idea of something um, that he had had growing up as a kid, right? And we're talking about these things, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's just, it's called casuela, right? Um, and it's like beans, and then we put some, like, cured pork in there, and it's stock and whatever, and I'm like, that sounds just like cassoulet. And then I'm like, it actually kind of sounds like cassoulet guess, too, yeah. right? So then we, and then we look back and we're like, oh my God, it's the same dish, right? It's both referring to being the beans being cooked in a clay pot. And it's like, again, like we all like the same stuff. Um, I've got two more questions for you and, and then we'll have to wrap up. Um, and they're both more about the experience of the festival. So my first question for you is mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give future competitors um, who are on the upcoming Heritage Fire tour stops? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, future competitors. One, uh, completely not related to food, but uh, a crucial misstep that I took, wear sunscreen. Um, <laughs> did not think about that before we left because we were so focused on getting all the product there. Uh, definitely wear your sunscreen. Um, outside of that, um, you, you know, definitely get get ready for more portions than you think you're going to need right because we were kind of like let's do 750 800 right and uh we ended up doing 1200 and i'm glad because um we we again we sold every bit of them and that and that's you know again that's amazing to be able to to move through that much product in in that period of time and then the last question is, what advice would you give visitors to the Heritage Fire Tour on the rest of the stops? Oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to say the same thing. Bring your sunscreen. Right. Um, but <laughs> also good advice for us all. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wear sunscreen, drink plenty of water, uh, come hungry because you are you're going to want to eat everything like I um I was fortunate enough to, to have enough time to go try all the food from, from the rest of the chefs there. Um, and I still can't believe that uh, our 
team won because everything was just so exceptionally good. I mean, it was, it was so much fun and um, I, I wish we were doing it again this weekend. Hey, so were you surprised when you won? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because like I said, every bite of food that we had there was so dang good that I was like, it, it really, we were so taken back and so honored that, that, that um, we were chosen. Did you run around and high five everybody? How did you celebrate? Honestly, uh, I may have. I think I, I think I blacked out there for for a couple of minutes, uh, just out of pure excitement. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we were we we had a great time, and and uh, it was a super fun celebration. And uh, one of the chefs actually hosted an after party uh, for all the chefs after the event, and um, it, it it was great. It was it was it was a good time. That sounds like it was a blast. Um, so we're we're that is all the time we have. But please, if you would tell everybody where they can learn more about the restaurant, social media, and and all of that stuff. So if people want to get to know you better, um, they know where to look. Absolutely. Um, so we do have um, Instagram for both the hotel Perry Lane uh, as well as Emporium Savannah. Um, please come see us downtown Savannah anytime you're here. We'd love to host you. Uh, either at the rooftop the cocktail bar or the restaurants. Um, we'd love to have you. Well, Daniel, thank you so much. Uh, again, this has been Brent Rosen with the special edition of the Tip of the Tongue podcast, talking with our heritage hero from Savannah, Georgia. It was a great conversation. I appreciate your time this afternoon. And thanks to all of our listeners out there. Really been great having you.